COVID-19 has altered the healthcare landscape dramatically. From the chaos of COVID hotspots where medical teams and facilities have been stretched to their limit to the general apprehension people feel about visiting any medical facility. But there's almost always opportunity in chaos. When people are sheltering in place, opportunities for different healthcare delivery models present themselves, such as the case in the category of home testing. Our guest today on the healthcare edition of Barclays Modern Marketeers is Dr. Josh Sklar, Chief Medical Officer at BioIQ. We'll be right back with Josh after this break. Our world is at a turning point. The effects of 2020 are profound at both the societal and individual level. It's an unprecedented moment for modern brands to lead. At Barclay, we understand brands that stand for something greater than their bottom line. These brands win. Now more than ever, winning brands treat their purpose as a verb. Winning brands drive action through their organization using a sustainability strategy. Winning brands measure and share their progress. These are the brands that drive trust and earn a competitive advantage. What are the biggest impacts of your business? What are the values, needs, and expectations of your consumers? And what is your plan? Modern brands can answer these questions, and the brands that answer these questions will emerge stronger in a post-2020 world. It's what we call future-proofing, and it's achieved through purpose and sustainability. Are you ready for the future? Are you ready to create your best brand possible? Find out more about Barclays Purpose and Sustainability Workshops at BarclayUS.com or reach out to Jason Parks, Chief Growth Officer at 816-813-3892 or jparks at BarclayUS.com. My guest today is Dr. Josh Sklar, Chief Medical Officer at BioIQ in Atlanta. Josh, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on Modern Marketeers. Thanks, Sam. Great to be here. I know BioIQ is headquartered in Atlanta. Uh, you're in California, correct? Yeah, I'm in San Francisco, actually. Great. Well, tell us a little bit about the home health business, a little background on the company and, and, and how it got started, how it got into uh, home testing. Sure. BioIQ is now about 15 years old. It was started by our CEO, Justin Belante, when he was actually in graduate school studying material sciences. And at that time, to the best of my knowledge, he really had no interest in going into healthcare. But suddenly, about halfway through his PhD program, one of his academic advisors and mentors suffered a catastrophic stroke and subsequently passed away. And during the course of going through that experience, it became clear that this mentor was diabetic, had diabetes. Mm. And he did not know that. Mm. And it was almost certainly a, a contributing factor to his tragic death. And that made a huge impression on Justin, who was left thinking, gosh, if this guy, who is a brilliant thermodynamicist, PhD, who works for the University of California system, has good insurance, uh, supportive family, and basically has every resource available to him to really understand and manage his own health, if he can die from an illness that could be diagnosed on a very inexpensive blood test, that he's unaware that he has, then the rest of us mere mortals are really in a lot of trouble. And so he kind of set out to make healthcare a lot more convenient and easy for people to access. And one of the spaces that he really started with was basic medical testing. Um, I think we all know medical testing comprises quite a lot of the activity of the healthcare system, but a lot of times access to basic medical tests 
uh, are quite inconvenient. They can be quite expensive. They're just not very consumer friendly. Right. So a big portion of what we do is we try and make those tests that people really need a lot easier for them to get. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, you would think, or at least I'm guessing that most consumers would think that uh, many of the tests that are run when they go to their uh, physician's lab are not tests that they could do at home. Um, but what, what tests are, are easy for consumers to do uh, in, in the privacy of their own home? Well, and it should be said that not every medical test can be performed using home test kit or performed by yourself for that matter. Right. But um, little known fact, for years now, there have been a few substantial number of tests, including some that are really basically fundamental to population health, and here I mean large numbers of individuals, as opposed to people with some unique illness. Um, and they just haven't really been deployed at the home or in sort of consumer-friendly manners. Some of the tests that um, I think physicians are most familiar with that fit this bill are, for example, stool tests for colon cancer, which is to say there are a number of ways you can get screened for colon cancer. Right. And they're all good. The most important thing is that you choose to take one of those tests. One of them, though, unlike the others, is a simple home kit that allows you once a year to basically test yourself in the comfort of your home. And a lot of people, in fairness, they get that test from their doctor. If you go into your doctor's office and you say, look, I'd like to be screened for colon cancer. I'm eligible to be screened based on my age, for example. But I don't want a colonoscopy. I don't want a CT colonography. I don't want an enema. Mm-hmm. Your doctor most likely will give you this test. You take it home and take just a few minutes to complete in the privacy of your bathroom. That test has been around for many, many years, and it's been a sort of tier one way to screen for colon cancer for many years. But unlike a lot of other places in the world, in the United States, it's not really common for organizations to take that home test, package it up in really a public health campaign, and mail it out to individuals who need to be screened to get them screened. That's sort of a bit unusual. It's not to say it never happens, but uh, it's relatively easy. So that's one example. There are other tests that uh, can be delivered in the very same way. Um, A1C testing is really important to the management of diabetes. That test can be done at home. Your kidney can, function can be evaluated in a number of ways with home tests, which include urine tests you can collect yourself, but also blood tests you can collect yourself. You can test for hepatitis C, for example. You can test for HIV. There are actually a surprising number of basic, fundamental high-quality medical tests that can be performed by yourself at home. It's very convenient, and it really can transform the utilization of those tests. Well, so how has, you know, with, with the advent of uh, the era of COVID, and, and it seems like it's going to go on for a bit yet, even once we get a vaccine, you know, how has the era of COVID altered how people are thinking about home health tests? Or has it? Uh, it most certainly has. I mean, it's not going to come as a shock to any of your listeners that uh, a lot of routine elective medical care in here, we're really talking a lot of times about preventive care, is just not happening uh, because people are unlikely to go see the doctor right now in the middle of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, justifiably so. And so what that means is that organizations are, are having a realization that 
basic care isn't getting delivered and that that puts a lot of people at risk and they're looking for ways to deliver that care that um, not just more convenient, but in a time like what we're living through today, safer. So we've definitely seen a ton of interest in, well, frankly, people asking me the same questions that you've been asking me, which is mm-hmm. what are the tests that we can deliver to people without them having to go to a doctor's office, to a lab, to a hospital, without them even having to leave home? Furthermore, I think the COVID-19 experience to date in this country has really underscored the importance of that in the sense that I think what we all would like heading into cold and flu season is to have a COVID-19 test in our medicine cabinet already. Right. Like right now, ready to go. So that day that Dr. Did you wake up with a fever and a cough, um, the ideal scenario is don't have to go to a testing site and wait in line in a drive through and potentially expose someone else. You can just test yourself at home. So I think that people have gotten really um, familiar with the value proposition there. And increasingly, they're looking for places where other tests can take advantage of that kind of delivery model as well. Well, then the natural question has to be, what's holding providers and or payers back from doing this? Um, So to be constructive, um, one, I think, is simply about a cultural shift that has to occur. We all know the value of having a primary care physician and having that relationship. And we certainly know the value of seeing that physician. And for many, many years, we've really pushed people to set up that relationship and go see their doctor and make sure that they get all their preventive care. And I think that's a good thing. But I think culturally, it's time for us to recognize that for whatever reason, that isn't working for everyone. Um, You know, it's every few years, a new study gets published by people like the Commonwealth Fund or others. It basically says the United States is not very good at delivering basic clinical preventive services and essentially leads or nearly leads all the OECD countries in preventable deaths or deaths that are amenable to healthcare because of that. And there are numerous reasons for that. I mean, I think everybody who listens to modern marketeers will understand access challenges, um, cost challenges, uh, convenience challenges. I mean, there's just a number of things. So I think it requires a bit of a cultural shift. It requires us to really begin to see the primary care system and the healthcare system itself as a place where sickness is treated, but that people's homes and communities and the places they shop and go to school are really where health is generated. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that's the setting that a lot of preventive services are really best suited for, as opposed to, as I kind of pejoratively say, locking them up behind the, you know, counters at hospitals and doctor's offices. Well, it also has to have an impact when you start thinking about the social determinants of health also. You know, whether it's certainly from an access perspective well, primarily from an access perspective, but it's it, it. There also has to be an educational aspect to this. Uh, where, well, let, let's talk about that for a minute. From a from a social determinants of health perspective, you know, where does home testing fit, and and how how does it improve access? My board certification and most of my work for the past seven eight years has been in the world of public health, so health disparities and social determinants are something that are top of mind for me every day. 
And in particular, when you think about the diseases, at least at BioIQ, what we're doing a lot of testing for, colon cancer, diabetes, kidney disease, these in particular are diseases that are very, very heavily influenced and shaped by social determinants. Um, 90% or approximately of colon cancer cases are sporadic. They're not due to some familial condition. Um, And the disparities in that disease are pretty horrifying. Um, There are states in this country that have literally double or triple the preventable death rates from colon cancer of other states, and that's just based on states. That doesn't even begin to address other social determinant factors, so um, being a member of a racial minority or having low household income. These are major contributors. Your education, though, these are major contributors to whether you live or die from colon cancer. Sad but true. You can say the same thing about diabetes. You can say the same thing about kidney disease. And from where I sit, I view democratizing testing and making testing a lot more consumer-friendly as maybe the most powerful lever we have for addressing those disparities. So let me make a case for that. One, democratizing this testing essentially means making it cheaper. You can't democratize it without making it cheaper. And in fact, as far as I know, no one that BioIQ tests today has to pay the bill for that test. These are basic preventive services that are paid for by their health insurance. Um, Number two, the act of accessing the test is much easier for a much broader swath of the population when it's delivered to them now. Now, it doesn't necessarily apply to everyone. Not everybody has insurance and not everybody has a home. But there's a massive number of people who do have health insurance and do have a home but aren't being served with these services. They don't have access to these tests. Maybe it's because they live in a rural area. Uh, maybe it's because there aren't a lot of physicians in the places they live. Maybe it's because the network adequacy in the insurance they have isn't great or hard to get an appointment. There could be a, lit- a litany of reasons. So what we see in our data is that home testing as an intervention is one of the few interventions that is new in the marketplace, but actually evens out health disparities rather than exacerbates them. In other mm-hmm. words, I'm fond of saying uh, to our team, look, it doesn't matter if you're a country mouse or a city mouse, if you're a PhD mouse or a GED mouse, if you're a blue mouse or a green mouse or an orange mouse, everybody likes convenience. It works for everybody. If it's cheap and convenient, it really levels the playing field. So it's something I'm passionate about, and our data really supports that. Uh, we've now screened well over a million colon cancer screenings um, alone. That's one test type, for example. Uh, and we basically see in the data uh, people of all walks of life really respond to this offer. So it's pretty great. So you, you and I have known each other for a couple of years and we, we, I love the conversations we have regarding healthcare and, and where, you know, um, where there are opportunities to lower the total cost of care. And what you're talking about here is, you know, it, it, obviously if, if we prevent disease, it's always less expensive than treating a disease. So with the, the cultural change that's taken place uh, in the, in this era of COVID, where people are 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 saying, you know, we don't really want to go into a clinic, we don't really want to go into a hospital, and 
I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago that said, you know, literally and unfortunately people are dying because they're having heart attacks and they don't want to go to the hospital, you know? And, and so, so from a payer perspective and a provider perspective and even a employer perspective, everyone understands that prevention is, you know, less expensive than treatment. So what's, what's, I, I, I guess I'm just going to not get into a, a disturbing conversation about this, but what, what's holding them back? I don't understand. What, why isn't this happening? You know, what, or what, what cohorts do you have to like carve out and say, um, let's go prove it here. Okay. Cause you've already got, you know, a million people using this. I, I, that's just why I don't understand what's holding it back. Are there too many other distractions in the, in the category that, you know, people can't make a decision? What is it? Well, look, um, let's be honest. The way that we pay for healthcare in the United States is incredibly complex and yes. convoluted. So I find it hard to talk about, well, it saves money when it comes to really any kind of healthcare service because questions very quickly become whose money mm. and when does it save the money? And that's part of having, frankly, just a vast and fragmented healthcare system. So there's a challenge there. The immediacy of the financial impact or the apparentness of that impact at all. And then two, uh, I, I hasten to say that as somebody who really is passionate about public health and prevention, prevention does not always save money. Even in the long run, even without the fragmented health system, it doesn't always save money. In fact, the goal of prevention, first and foremost, is for people to live longer, happier, healthier lives. Even if at the end of the day, they live 10 years longer, if only to spend a bunch more money on a bunch of other health conditions that they later develop. Fair enough. That yes. they didn't get earlier in their life because of prevention, right? Because we delayed that bad event from happening. And I think it's important to say that out loud. Yep, I agree. That being said, it really is all about what can we do to make incentives align and to make the impact of these interventions clear. So I'm fond of saying when we look at the quality measurement revolution in healthcare, um, when you look at quality measures in the provider space, in the insurance space, those quality measures are not typically things that are tied to highly profitable healthcare services. Um, so they may be tied to the quality of the delivery of that care, for example, how many times does somebody have a joint replacement having an infection, but they're not typically tied to how many joint replacements right. did you do with the health system, right? And that's because there's plenty of incentives, both on the side of the patient and the provider, to deliver that joint replacement. Plenty of incentives. What we see incentivized through quality measures are things like flu shots, right? Nobody's making big bank off delivering flu shots, and frankly, People are not all that motivated to get a flu shot the way they are to get a joint replacement when their knee is killing them and it's preventing them from doing the things they want to do in their life. And so I think we're well on that journey in terms of the quality measurement revolution in this country, creating incentives that bring attention to the services that really can lead to longer, happier, healthier lives. Uh, it's just that we need to really grow those incentives. And we need to make the value proposition as clear and apparent as possible. And then lastly, no matter how strong the incentive, if the barriers to receiving that care are too high, people aren't going to receive it, right? So we've got to both simultaneously increase the incentives 
and decrease the barriers to care. And I think that's, you know, a big part of uh, what we're trying to do at BioIQ. You know, it's, um, I really appreciate that conversation because it takes a more holistic view and a longer term view, which we, we have to look at it that way. But let's assume for the moment um, that at some point in the not too distant future, we get COVID back under control and, you know, home screenings, do, do we think they will uh, or go back to normal pre-COVID levels? Will home testing, you know, continue to, you know, gain traction? What's, what's your, uh, what's your prediction? I think that this newfound experience of at-home testing, or for that matter, telemedicine, are a little bit of a Pandora's box. Once you open them, you can't really put the genie back in the bottle to mix metaphors a little bit. Badly. <laughs> That's okay. Um, which is to say, I don't know about you, but the first time I had an experience uh, with an at-home test or with a telemedicine visit, my impression was, wow, that was easy in a very positive way, right? And I think that actually goes for a lot of physicians as well. I've had a couple of physician visits during COVID-19 with physicians seeing me by telemedicine. And I got to say, anecdotally, those guys seem to be quite happy. They seem to be seeing an awful lot of patients in a way that is very convenient to them. Um, and I think that leaves an indelible mark on both the providers and the patients that consume their care that way. So I don't think we're going to get this back into the box, and I think that's a good thing. I think that we're about to really see an acceleration in consumer-friendly care delivery, whether it is at-home testing, telemedicine visits, uh, retail services that will mm-hmm. be available in, you know, every Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, what have you in your neighborhood, as well as, frankly, just bringing primary care out from behind the walls of the clinic and into people's homes uh, increasingly. I, I think that we're at the very beginning of that revolution of care delivery. Well, I I am so happy to have this conversation because, you know, it's the, the, the metaphor that comes to my mind is George Bush's old thousand points of light, but I think there are a thousand ways that we can uh, adjust the, the total cost of care. And, and I love having the conversation with you and, and, and understanding what you guys are trying to do, but also understand how that fits into the greater healthcare ecosystem. So Josh, thank you for, uh, for joining us today. And I appreciate you carving out some time uh, to have the conversation. Yes, Sam, always a pleasure. I love uh, chatting with you, and let's do it again. All right, we will. Uh, we'll, we'll check back in in a few months and just see how things are going and what else has come up on the horizon. So, uh, My guest today has been Josh Scalar, the uh, Chief Medical Officer for BioIQ. Uh, join us again for the Healthcare Edition of Barclays Modern Marketeers. Mm-hmm.